for me, children are everything. If we don't live our lives in a way that supports the coming generations, I think we are betraying them. That's my honest feeling. And of course, right now, this time is very challenging. Yeah, I will always be an advocate for children. Welcome to a new episode of Most Memorable Journeys. I have a wonderful guest today, a lady who knows how to do everything, really. She is a writer and an author. She writes children's books. She's an editor. She worked for newspapers and she is also an actress. And um, the reason why I know her is because of the Global Woman Club, where she is now the project manager. And um, lately I found out that we have a common past. Our common past is in tourism and this is Most Memorable Journeys. So welcome to Most Memorable Journeys, Kiki Palin. I am very happy to have you here. And I'm really, really delighted to be here. Uh, you know, I just love talking about traveling. And of course, I so much enjoy speaking with you. And also, you know, knowing that we share these common things from our past, that, that creates a special connection as well. Totally. Now, my first question, because I saw this clip of you being an actress, was that hot air balloon real? <laughs> no, it wasn't. It was a green screen. <laughs> and it was just like, you know, some years ago, not too long ago, I think it was five years ago or something. I thought to myself, why not see if I still have it in me? Because I used to be an actress when I was very, very young. I never pursued that career. But anyway, I wanted to just check to see if it was in there somewhere. But I never did anything big. It was just like these small things. And then I thought, okay, it was fun. It was okay. And I enjoyed the adventure of going back to that space. You looked good. I liked it. But I, I did look a bit fishy. I thought it was a green screen. So. Yeah. Have you ever actually been in a, in a hot air balloon? Have you ever traveled in a hot air balloon? No, I haven't. I haven't actually. No. I've never really wanted to. I don't know why, but I, I no, it's nothing that I've wanted to do. It's not on your bucket list. It's not, no. No, I did. I once did a, a hot air balloon trip or whatever you call it on top of the Red Centre in Australia, you know, from Alice Springs. And that was very, very beautiful. Wow. But um, it was just part of a tour. So um, I, it wasn't my choice. I was the tour guide, so I had to go. But tell me, you were... In the airline business, what did you do? See, I was um, 21 years when I started. Uh, so I was very young and I had just returned from the US uh, from a trip there. And uh, I kind of got fascinated because, you know, it's a country of dualities and, and you get fascinated with some things and you get oh, thrown off by other things. So it had a bit of everything. And I thought, okay, I always wanted to to experience the travel industry. And my dad, who always talked about aeroplanes, he had wanted to become a, a pilot, but he couldn't because his eyesight wasn't good enough. So he became a doctor instead, as all the other people in his, uh, in his family. And then he was kind of pushing me towards this. You know, I wanted to experience it. And when I got back from this trip uh, to the States, I applied for this job. I don't know, I think it was three interviews. And the airline was TWA, Transworld Airlines, uh, one of the most uh, well-known airlines in the States. And uh, it was just like a very, very special process going through, you know, and finally getting the job. And I started as a customer service agent. 
and eventually I got promoted, became lead agent supervisor. And the last year I was uh, the airport manager, which, you know, gave me all kinds of experiences and I could write a whole book about it. And I was also part of the international cutover team. So I went to some other countries and I trained people uh, at the airports. Uh, and also that was, uh, that was really, really, really special. But one thing that I just remembered now that I started talking about this was that I was working as an extra at a reception when I applied for this work. I didn't want to stay there, so that's why I, I looked at the airline industry. And once I got the job, I looked up on the shelf where I was sitting at the reception, and there was this track, and on the track it said TWA. So that was really the first very strong synchronicity in my life, and that's why I always know that, you know, you often see your future right ahead of you. And it's not always tangible, but once you move in the right direction, you will get the confirmation. And I did. Absolutely. The power of your subconscious mind. Your subconscious mind had seen that TWA thing. Yeah. I want to know a little bit more about that job because it sounds like fun because we are similar ages. That was quite a while ago when you worked for TWA. TWA doesn't exist anymore. Traveling was so different in those years. I mean, we had paper tickets. You know, if you had lost your ticket, you, you've had it. You had to buy a new one. It wasn't like you could go and in, in, in a computer. Tell me a little bit about, you know, how were things at the airport? Were you allowed to upgrade people? Who did you upgrade and why? Well, very often we upgraded because we had overbooked. Yeah. You know, and uh, of course you overbooked in the tourist section. It was, it was tourist class, ambassador class and first class for TWA. So we had our, uh, you know, our more prominent uh, travelers uh, that were returning passengers. And of course, we upgraded them first and foremost. And then we decided upon other things. And to be completely honest, it depended on how they were had dressed as well. I know that they, because yeah. I used to have to choose people as a tour guide. Go on. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. So, you you know, you wouldn't upgrade someone in, in, in a pair of shorts and a T-shirt. You upgraded other people and often they were a little bit old. Uh, but sometimes we have overbooked so heavily. So, of course, you know, it was a lot of upgrades. Uh, but that was the fun part because you could actually make people so happy. You know, mm -hmm. we have a special present for you today, you know. And then you might enroll them in the frequent flyer program at the same time because, of course, they, they were, you know, just so, so happy. And actually, that did happen to me when I traveled to the U.S. I, I traveled with the SAS at that time, and I was upgraded, and it was my birthday. And I, I still remember that upgrade. You know, oh, my God, on my birthday, I got upgraded. So I, I know that was so important to many people. It is. And I still dress well when I travel, hoping that I get upgraded because really? <laughs> it hasn't happened much lately. But uh, <laughs> again, even in those years, traveling economy class was like business is in certain airlines now. I mean, when I look at short distance flights with, I don't know, Austrian Airlines or Lufthansa, it's the same seats. It's the same, you know, there's just one seat blocked in the middle. But otherwise, that's how we used to travel in the old days. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And we used to get a meal and we used, you know, like a proper meal. It was just so different. TWA was a good airline. I, I remember traveling with them. I actually had my friend's mother was a station manager in Zurich, but that was before you. So oh. it was it was it was an honor actually. It, it mm. at that time it was an honor to work for an airline or to work for a travel agency. Yeah, you were somebody special, right? 
Yes, yes. I mean, it's, you know, I, I said for many, many years that, you know, I just want to re- re-experience those years in another company, but it has been very, very difficult because, you know, we were we were a team of more than 20 people. We were very closely connected. We worked towards the same goal. There was no way of doing your own thing. You had to have the main goal in focus, which was to get the aircraft out on time. That was it. And you had to come together and work and really, you know, make it your own project on a daily basis. So it taught me so much. My God, I experienced so much in these years. We had, you know, suspected terrorists. We had bomb threats. We had an uh, airplane landing in Goose Bay because of the bomb threat. And, you know, just that that whole thing that I experienced being in charge of that, you know, changed me. And then on a day-to-day basis, you know, there were all kinds of things that happened with the passengers, you know. It's always a time that I go back to. I actually decided to go back to, to the airport when I was studying at the university, when I was, uh, well, at that time I was 45, I think. And I just wanted to go back and check. And um, then I just worked for a conference company. And it was just like, and, and I also worked with the VIP department. It was a nice, nice revisit, but it was also a, a visit that actually could make me do the closure. Things had changed. It wasn't the same anymore. No, it wasn't. And I actually had written a book about uh, people in the airline industry before that, women that actually chose uh, professions that were, you know, usually more male-dominated. So I had this longing to go back to that experience and I re-experienced some of the things. But, you know, it wouldn't be the same because, you know, TWA, it was such a special airline. And the, the people in charge also were very proud of working for TW. You were like you were mentioning bomb threats, but security in those years was not we it wasn't it wasn't the same thing like it is now. I remember when I was working in the States, we used to take the Trump shuttle from Washington to New York. In the internal flights in, in the States before 9-11, there was no, they were not checking anything. You know, like we sometimes arrived with our bus at the airport that we were supposed to take the 11 o'clock Trump shuttle, but then we arrived at I don't know, quarter to 10 or something. And they would say, rush, rush, let's get, let's get you on the 10 o'clock. And we just walked more or less to the plane. I mean, that has changed a lot because I remember, I guess, I don't know if it was as a child, you know, all those planes that were hijacked is very rare now because of all the security. And when people get annoyed at security, you know, I sometimes feel like saying it's for your own, it's for you that this security is, and it's not to annoy you, don't you think? Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, with TWA, it was different because they had been hijacked and they have had uh, experienced a, a bomb going off. And it was, I think it was three people dying, one of them being a flight attendant. So the security was there from the beginning. And it was an Israeli company, ICTS, that handled it for, for TWA. So it was part of the daily, you know, the daily process. I got very used to it. And, and actually, I got grateful for it because it was a, I was being harassed at one time. And, you know, then having the security people around, of course, was I don't know, a blessing or whatever I should call it, but it, it was it was necessary at that time. Uh, there were so many things happening. And, you know, you would get security bulletins on a daily basis with new things happening in the world. So I was very much aware of, of the situation. Yeah, way before many other airlines became more serious about security. Yeah, this is true. Do you still have friends from those years? Yeah, I do, of course. You know, I actually... Uh, received an email not too long ago from one of my, you know, general managers, uh, 
a man that lives in Seattle. And he, you know, he just said, I want to share these fond memories, you know. So, and I have some, at least two friends that are rather close friends that are, uh, that are from that time. Yeah, you know, because most of my real good friends are people who were in the travel industry, who were tour guides with me. And one of the reasons is because these people are very flexible. Yeah. I remember when I christened my children here in Cyprus, they came. When I mm-hmm. had some kind of party, they came because they are, you know, they just buy a ticket and they don't think for a long time, oh, you know, should we book, should we, you know, they are just the kind of, it's, it's a different, I think it's a different gene that travel people have that just, they just get up and go and it's a different kind of, we are a different tribe. And I notice with many people that you and I deal with now through Global Woman or through other organizations, so many people who are in this situation now started off in the travel industry. We are all on a trip and it actually started with a real trip, you know, with real travel. Now it's a different kind of trip, but um, it's fascinating. Tell me a little bit more about your writing. I don't know where to start, but I've kind of always been a writer. You're a very good writer. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. Uh, I think I, I had it in me from when I was very young. I have three older sisters, actually, that trained me and put me in school when I was six years old. So I, I knew how to write when I stopped at school. But it was more the storytelling part that has been very important for me. So I've... Uh, I've always, you know, if I haven't had a diary, I've written somewhere else. But I didn't go back to writing. You know, I wrote poems when I was young, but I didn't really go back to writing until my children were a couple of years old. And then I started writing, you know, stories for them, children's books. But I didn't publish it at that time. I just wrote. And then eventually I started writing other things. But I've been kind of a late bloomer when it comes to publishing. I have only done that, you know, in the last 10 years or so. Or actually, the first book was in 2005 or six. So I did do some things before 2006, I think it was. But it has taken me a long time. And I'm still, you know, I still have that big novel in the drawer that I haven't published. So that is yet to come. But I do write my children's books. And uh, that is just so, so, such a blessing and so important for me. Because, you know, for me, children are everything. If we don't live our lives in a way that supports the coming generations, I think we are betraying them. That's my honest feeling. And of course, right now, this time is very challenging. Yeah, I will always be an advocate for children. Do you find writing therapeutic? Absolutely, in all possible ways. Yes, yes. And you don't even know about what's going on until you kind of reach towards the end. And then you say, oh my God, did I write that before? And what has happened since? And it can all change, you know, in a heartbeat. Yeah. Do you sometimes look at something you wrote and think, wow, I'm good? You know, that. (laughs) (laughs) Oh. Because I do, I mean, honestly, I do that sometimes. I think, oh my God, in what state was I in when I wrote this? Exactly. I would say more that, not that, oh, I'm good. Is that, was that me? You know, where did that come from? But I, I just, Global Woman published this anthology not too long ago with 21 authors. And I had the, the, the privilege of writing my own chapter. And I share a little bit about automatic writing there because that's what I've experienced. When I started writing this novel, the young adult novel, uh, I just found my fingers moving and I didn't know where it came from. I didn't even have to think, it just came. And the whole story just grew out of me 
trusting and putting my fingers on uh, on the laptop and and uh, I realized that there was something in there. Uh, I think, you know, of course this can happen to everyone. You just have to allow it to happen, but very often we have blocks, so we stop it. But just the feeling of knowing that, no, I'm no longer in control. This is just happening to me. And I can share. I even don't know if I shared it in the chapter. I wrote a lot of things, but I've been writing this youth or young adult novel book since 2003. Uh, that was a year when I burnt out because of a lot of things happening at the same time. But I found my way back to writing. I went back and forth uh, to this book and I kind of stopped and started. And in 2000, let me see, must have been 2010, 2011, I started writing here. And I realized that it, it changed a little bit, the way I was writing. So I found that interesting. I didn't know much about it. But at the same time, uh, me and my family were leaving the whole time where my children grew up. They had been living, or we had been living there for 20 years, and they had been living there most of uh, their life. <laughs> but we decided to move to the capital, to Stockholm. There were a lot of things happening because it was a huge transition. We were living in a house, and we had a lot of friends, and my father was dying at the same time and he passed away just when we had, had um, moved back to Stockholm. But what I didn't realize, and I get shivers when I say this, that I had written about this move. I had written about it before it happened. I had written about the scenery. I had even written about a person that I met when I moved to the neighborhood. And that is the way it is when you are in contact with your soul. You know, you're getting all these downloads, you're getting all this information. And for me, I just allowed it to come out. And then it was like, okay, the universe is confirming to me. It, it was the right move. It was the right thing to do. What can you say when things like that happen? I was just laughing. How is this mm, possible? Yeah. How can I do that? How can we do that as human beings? You know, that's when you can get into the, talking about timelines and all kinds of things. Yeah. But um, the problem yeah. with human beings is that they don't know how capable that many people don't realize how capable they actually are how much is actually in there so many people okay there's a lot of people who overestimate themselves that's another species but there is so many people who totally underestimate themselves and don't realize what's in them but I want to come back to something that you said you mentioned the word automatic writing myself I was introduced to automatic writing only about five years ago by a very dear friend I had no idea what it is and it absolutely fascinated me. I'm sure lots of people who are listening to us don't know because it sounds really funny, automatic writing. It's like, what's that? An automatic laptop. What yeah. is it in a, in a nutshell, in a quick, just explain to our listeners very quickly what automatic writing is. What do we do? Well, we just allow the soul to, to come through us and give us a message without uh, filtering the information. Mm -hmm. And And for me, you know, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm deeply into the world of spirituality. So the way I see, you know, we, we can receive messages from above. We have our crown chakra. If we talk about chakras and we can receive that information. And, and, and if our ego is not too active, which it is often, <laughs> then we can allow these messages to come through. That is kind of moving out of the ego space and just being in your soul fully and then you will receive the messages and you can just allow it to come out on paper and it's you know uh, we're all 
from my perspective, we're all part of that. I've started doing it and you are, as you say very well, the ego or, well, the sub- subconscious mind or whatever it is, is inside yeah, of you. You know, mm-hmm. you hear, you do it. You actually sit there and I like to do automatic writing by hand. And then, you know, something comes and you think, oh, come on, that's not possible because that's your ego telling you that's not possible. Yeah. It's, it's sabotaging you. So I think it's important during that automatic writing that don't allow them to stop you. You just do it. And 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 then the, the, the most amazing stories come out, which, like in your case, are true later on when you reread it. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, uh, it, I've tried to stop and I still feel that this novel is about to come out completely one day, but I'm not there yet. But another thing happened, I had put it aside. Uh, one of the main characters, or some of the main characters are based on, on, on living human beings. And I had put it aside at, at, at another point. And I was a, a radio journalist because I was a radio host for, for more than 10 years. <laughs> one morning, the person in charge uh, told me, well, you're going to have an interview. I booked one thing for you. It's going to be this lady. Uh, you know, she's a hunter. That's not... You know, that's not normal, but, you know, we're getting into the hunting season and you're going to enter this hunter. And I looked down and I saw her name and I thought, no, this is not even possible. I hadn't I hadn't been in contact with her for 20 years. And one of the main characters in the book was based on her. (laughs) So I thought, okay, here we go again. Back to the book. (laughs) And there is no coincidence. Is there's no coincidence. You know, like I see the universe as a web. And, and, you know, okay, here we go again. We're back to this now. Uh, we just follow it and we just allow it to come. And, and you know, but it, it's, I have so many stories like that. So um, it's easy to get lost, you know, on, the, on this journey called life, but you can find your way back. Yeah, that's very true. It's easy to get lost, as you say. And also, do you sometimes think, maybe that's a bit of a, not a very clever question, but do you sometimes think that, being spiritual makes you too kind, not too kind, but, you know, people may take advantage of, of you because you are so, um, you have all this love, you know, because you're, you're coming from a space of love and you mean well, and you're helping everyone. But then there are other people you're dealing with who don't come from this space of love, right? No, but that's true. I mean, you, you can't get away from that. I mean, that that is true. And Allowing the love to be there, but not to be taken advantage of, I think it, it, it's important. Mm-hmm. And that's yeah. kind of the, that's the tricky line, isn't it? Yeah. To, to, to yeah. know how far will you allow certain people to, you know, take advantage of you, basically, because yeah. it's, a, it's a wild world out there. It is. And, you know, I've, uh, yeah, we all have made some wrong choices. And we've all have gone down <laughs> the wrong alleys. Uh, but as long as we learn from that experience, it's fine. Yeah. And we will keep on learning, you know, for the rest of our lives. That That is the only thing I know. I actually told a close friend of mine today, I remember, I think when I was, uh, I was going to turn 35. And uh, I had done anything, everything I was going to say. Uh, and would be considered successful, you know. But I just felt, okay, what am I supposed to do now? I felt so empty. And I thought, okay, I've experienced everything. I've done most of the things. I have this position that people keep on telling me that, oh, my God, you're lucky. I really admire you. And I just felt like, okay, so there's nothing more for me to experience. And then I got this, like, boom, (laughs) right in my face. And I realized that I knew 
almost nothing. And that's when my spiritual journey started. Mm -hmm. For real. I mean, I had my experiences from when I was a teenager because it started started rather early. But this was the way uh, the universe threw me back into that position of discovery. Yeah, I think get understanding that you don't know anything. We don't know anything. I mean, there is so much that is out there that we don't know and, and being willing to, to and being open to learn. And as you say, I mean, there are no mistakes. Okay, unless you make the same thing twice or three times or four times, then it's a bit of stupidity. But if you learn every time a little bit and and even if you if it, even if it happens again but when you learn your lesson and you you move on and and uh, life gets better you become wiser i think that's the beauty about getting older yeah the wisdom and i have learned with my children you cannot experience things for them you have to let them fall and you have to catch them when you have to be there and catch them right Yes, yes, because it's part of their path to do everything possible to get away from you, to cut the cord yes. <laughs> and go the other way. And then, you know, they'll, they'll come back. And I was, I was actually joking with my oldest son not too long ago because when he was a teenager, I don't know exactly how old he was, I was talking a lot about the law of attraction. I was a teacher at the time. I was showing my students uh, the movie The Secret, and we had this as a point of discussion, you know, okay, let's talk about this. How do you feel? What do you think? You know, all that. Not like pushing it into their faces, but just like talking about it. And I showed some other movies uh, also because it was part of the curriculum. I talked about it with my son, sons, and they just, oh, my God, mom, you're just too much. You know, <laughs> And then 10 years later, my oldest starts talking about the law of attraction. <laughs> I said, oh, really? <laughs> Oh, how can you know? Uh, but they have to go on their own journey. They have yeah. to discover it their own way through other people, not through their parents, because the parents are providing something else. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. when it comes to these deep inner knowledge, it has to be kind of triggered through other people. Yeah. So they yeah. will recognize the message. So. Of course they will. And, and they will come back. It has happened to me. You know, they, can't, they mm. come back and you, they say you were right. And it's okay that they, uh, you know, that at the time when you said it, it it's, it's their right to, say, to, to not agree at this point. And exactly. I think, you know, when it, when it comes to the law of attraction, that's a different story now. We're talking about kids. But generally my take on the law of attraction, which I highly believe in, but I also believe in action. Because you cannot just believe in the law of attraction and say, you know, I'm going, I'm rich and then sit on the sofa and wait, you know, you have to do the, you have to do the work. I think these books are very often a little misunderstood by people. You know, you have to, you have to do the, do the stuff, but coming back to kids, Kiki, I know you have a dream. I want to talk about your dream. Uh Yeah. (laughs) You see, the more we talk about this, the more form it's going to take. Yes. And maybe somebody will listen to this podcast and will think, hey, you know, we have to we have to get this woman going. <laughs> that's that's a good thought. Yeah. If somebody has a few millions to spare, you would you would know what to do with them, wouldn't you? I would. Yeah, I have a dream about an orphanage and I've had it for quite some time. And I know, you know, just like you said, that it'll materialize at the right time. So I'm kind of, you know, it's, it's just in me. I, I know that. And I, I just, you know, people ask me, how come you love children so much? You know, <laughs> like, or young people. And I, I just love 
you know, that connection you get with children and younger people that are not influenced by all these outer experiences, by all our, you know, difficult times, the open-mindedness, the naturalness, the authenticity, the way we interact and can just relax because we just are. Instead of coming there with a full package with your with our backpacks filled with experiences of, you know, heartbreak or whatever, but you know, everything in there. And with children, it's something else. And what I have felt and what have hurt so much in these last few years is that the children haven't been allowed to experience the human experience fully with all these restrictions and with all these things going on. And I know that it has influenced many children in a horrible way, for example, in Sweden, but that's with older you know, teenagers, that the um, suicide rate has escalated horribly and people are having mental problems in a completely different way than, than before. That I didn't know when my dream about an orphanage came about, but that makes this even more important, providing a space where children can be children. No iPads, no laptops, <laughs> just experiencing things through the being and not always doing, doing, you know, mm. pushing the knowledge in there. Instead, you know, having the way of experiencing nature and learning things through the interaction with other beings, you know, human beings, but also animals, and then just talking and seeing. Because we all have it in us. We all have this knowledge in us. It's just waiting to be awakened. Mm. We don't have to push in. We don't have to, you know, that's, that's why it was a little bit difficult for me to be a teacher, because I realized that the most important thing wasn't to push you know, the knowledge into the student, it was for them to realize that they already had it. They just needed mm-hmm. to find out who am I and what do I need? What can I learn? And of course, some basic knowledge, you know, I've got a, a master in media communication, so I've studied many years myself, but that was not the most important thing. I learned mm-hmm. just as much when I was 19 years old and worked in a hospital with dying patients, you know. Yeah. That's the real experience. And yeah, real and I mean, as long as kids are not conditioned in their first year, kids are no, they are not racist. They don't, they don't see color. They don't see uh, nationality. They just see another child that they want to play with. And I think this is such a shame that then society and whatever, you know, I always say most parents do the best they know. But there are many things that we were conditioned with as children that we don't need anymore. You know, we could really let go of your dream of an orphanage. I know what, because you you want to give kids, as you say, you you want them to be in their purest form. And I don't know what it's like in Sweden. I think you are much more modern than we are here in Cyprus. I mean, I used to watch my kids having to learn stuff by heart just for a test, which the next day they couldn't remember, you know, and I thought, what a nuisance, what a waste of time, you know, I was a wild mother, I was one of those mothers, you know, I let them run around and, and, um, and they were, they were filthy, I remember I used to put them in the bathtub in the evening and there was like a, a a trace of soil, but I feel sorry for those children who don't have this not everybody has this opportunity. You know, people who live in apartments, they go to school in the morning and then they don't get outside. So there is a lot of space, I think, that could be opened for kids. I think that the main reason for us all to be here is to come to become the best versions of ourselves. I know this is controversial to say, but I'm still going to say it. I think that the society now in many ways are working in completely the opposite direction. 
trying to form, you know. Right now you have, I read an article in, in, in the Swedish media yesterday about someone who was being fined as a teacher for not, uh, you know, saying something, which yeah. was just absurd because there, there are all these different words that you're supposed to use now. You cannot even say parents, you know, you can't say mom and dad in some preschools because you should say a partner instead mm -hmm. not to, to discriminate someone else. And I don't think the discrimination doesn't come from the words. The discrimination, oh my God, no. No, they come from the actions. Yes. How, how do we interact? Yes. Because right now, so many young people are so confused. Yeah. The society is making them more confused. Instead of By the way, this is my podcast and you can say anything you want. Okay, good. Well, I have, I think. <laughs> <laughs> because, you know, this is the thing. You, know, you are so right about being correct and saying this and that. And it is so true because I know people who are so correct. I mean, they speak so correctly, but they behave like not correct and that's exactly. you know it's your action and not your words that uh, that define you yeah. oh kiki time is flying i was just looking at how long we've been speaking already mm -hmm. it's most memorable journey so towards the end we're going to go back to traveling a little bit what are you dreaming of if say tomorrow covid ends now and um, you could go on a trip tomorrow no um, money is no object where would you go oh whew, that's a difficult question i i have some places you know like immediately just to get some sun i would probably go to spain what is calling me kind of is asia i don't know why so in the future asia i think and then that i have a dream that i want to to uh, come alive <laughs> before I end my time here. And that's Machu Picchu. And I've dreamt about it since I was uh, 14, 15 years old. And that is a story by itself because I got reconnected with a childhood friend, if not even a year ago. Now she's moved back. She's in another country now. And she just came home for a little while uh, because of what's going on. And I started talking about, you know, these dreams that you haven't, you know, they haven't materialized yet. And she said, Machi Picchu? I remember writing about this when I was 14 or 15. I was in a little group. And then we looked at each other and we realized, oh, we were working on this project together. Yeah. <laughs> that was our project. Amazing. Yeah. yeah, we were in the same group and we carried the same dream and we still haven't gone to Machu Picchu yet. We might do it together one day. Who knows? You will. You will. Yeah. Things are going to change. I mean, it's go things are going to change. We will be traveling again. And I suggest, since you want to go to Asia, and yeah. since I am planning to go and visit the Global Woman Club Manila, I think we should go to the Philippines together. And then you can still go to another place. Isn't that a plan? And if you want wow. more sun after Spain, you also have to come and visit me in Cyprus. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I've been to many places in the world, you know, so... Uh, uh, I think that, but I've never been to Cyprus and I've never yeah. been to the Philippines, of course. So that, that is still on, on my list. Um, yeah. Yeah. Why not? Why not? Let's start dreaming. <laughs> yeah. Why not? Why not? Kiki, any last words before we end? Oh my God. What should I say? I think traveling is one of the most beautiful words. It's not only about the exterior travel. It's about the interior travel. Uh, we can travel within and we've had this opportunity now during this time to, to, to go inwards a little bit more and find new places and reconnect uh, to our higher beings. And I think that this is exactly what the world needs right now. 
we are at a paradigm shift. We are at a period in, in human history that we need to, to raise our consciousness to create a better world. Mm-hmm. And I posted something on Facebook that say, let's create a pandemic of love. That's the only way we cannot stay in this state of fear. We have to create a pandemic of love, I think. That's beautiful. I like that. And I would just want to add, and I always say that I have learned with all my travels that we are all the same. We all have the same needs. We all have the same fears and we all want to be happy. And that has nothing to do with where you are. So, um, and I think that's it. We're going to end it here. Kiki, thank you so much for being my guest on Most Memorable Journeys today. Thank you so much, Elizabeth. It's been a true pleasure. I so, so, so enjoyed this conversation. If you enjoy my podcast, please like, share and subscribe to my channel. You will find all the information in the show notes.